Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. I am your host, Ian Altman. We are joined today by Michael Brody Waite. And I'm going to leave it to Michael to introduce his background, but fundamentally, we're going to spend time today talking about bad habits, things that get us trapped in those bad habits, things we can learn to move out of those habits, and how we can take any situation, no matter how complicated, no matter how bad you might think it is, and turn it into something positive to set a path forward for your life that really turns into something transformational. So let me bring him on. And Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. So give people a sense of your background, because when you and I spoke, I was fascinated and said, man, I want you to come on the air and, and talk about your story. Awesome. Well, so at the age of 23, I was homeless, hopelessly addicted to alcohol and drugs. Um, I've been kicked out of college, fired from my job, evicted from my home, my car being repossessed. The only money I had was what I could steal from my friends. And I was throwing up blood. And I truly thought I was going to die. And I, and I actually wanted to die. I didn't think I'd live to see my 30th birthday. And so in a last-ditch effort, after many, 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 many painful experiences, I went to rehab. And in rehab, they taught me three principles that they told me I had to master. And if I didn't do that, that I was going to die. How to practice rigorous authenticity, surrender the outcome, and do uncomfortable work. Those three principles didn't just become the foundation for how I survived and learned how to thrive. They become the foundation for how I lead. By my eighth year clean, I was the CEO and founder of an Inc. 500 company. Built that company, sold it to a publicly traded company in 2015. Spent three years as a nonprofit CEO, helping the nonprofit that had helped me when I was building my company, helping 2,000 entrepreneurs a year start to grow a business. Did a TED Talk called Great Leaders Do What Drug Addicts Do, and it went viral. And I'd love to be the humble guy that has no idea how many views his TED Talk has. But as of this morning, <laughs> it's got like over 3,080,000 views. And so I went and I wrote a book called Great Leaders Live Like Drug Addicts. And now I have a company called Addictive Leadership, where what we do is we teach leaders how to use the principles that addicts use to recover so that they can say no to the wrong things and start saying yes to the right ones. That's great. And, and Michael, my thought is this, that right now, there are a bunch of listeners who right before this episode were, were thinking to themselves, oh, man, I had a really bad day yesterday. Oh, I've had a bad morning. And now they hear what you went through and where you're at today. And they hopefully are thinking, all right, well, if Michael can turn this thing around and have this amazing success, I can too. So how do people get trapped into those bad habits? I think to me, so if you go back to the three principles they taught me, like all the answers are in those three principles for me. Practice rigorous authenticity. That is really hard when we grow up in a world where we are taught by the generals in the army, the corporate leaders in the world, our parents, everybody that we need to pretend that we're stronger or happier than we are. And what ends up happening is we end up silently struggling with problems. And we live in a world where there are so many people that have experience with whatever you're going through right now. Like whatever you're going through, I don't care if it's, I don't know how to sell from, I don't know how to manage this marriage to be a parent to whatever. If you're struggling, hiding it is what we're taught to do. But practicing rigorous authenticity is putting all that stuff into the light. And that's what I had to do with my drug addiction. I literally need to say, I need help. And then I got a sponsor and I went to meetings and all of a sudden hope just showed up 
left and right and it helped change me. But I think you have to be able to practice rigorous authenticity. That's the first thing. Like put down the mask, so to speak, and just show people what the problem is. Got it. And is that one of the traps that people fall into when they're trying to overcome bad habits is they try to pretend like everything's okay or they try to pretend like they don't need help? I mean, is that is that one of the things you, you learn that that's kind of the pitfall? Uh, yeah, dude. I mean, I didn't have any clothes. Like literally I had one pair of clothes and I gained all this weight from all the, all the beer that I was drinking and all the other kind of stuff I was doing. And so I couldn't close them with the, with the, the normal fastener. So I did put it and I didn't, I couldn't afford a, like a belt. So I had like a piece of rope that kept my pants together. But when people ask me how I'm doing, I would say I'm doing great. <laughs> like if you, if you need a rope, you can't afford a belt and you need a rope to hold up through one pair of pants that are stained from everything you've done in the last two weeks. And you're walking around town and you're stealing money from your friend. Everything is not great. I think that is the trap and it becomes a downward spiral. Um, but there can be an upward spiral where you start asking for help. People that are smarter than you at something, they help you. I mean, that's what you do with same sure. side selling. You're taking all this incredible experience and you're leveraging that experience, strength and hope and you're giving it to people and you're gifting them the benefit of your wisdom without them having to go through all the pain that you went through. Right. But people don't do that. They're scared to. It's literally a sensation in their body that makes it uncomfortable. And then they, they stay trapped in whatever they're doing, being convinced that no one understands their problem. No one understands how to make it better. If they were to tell everybody, everybody would hate them. And I think 99% of the time, the worst thing that ever happened to me happened only in my, in my head. Really? Well, and, and, I, and I think that what happens is whether it's in a business context and someone says, well, I don't know how to do this. I just got to figure it out. There's a reluctance that all human beings have to asking for help. It's almost like it's a sign of weakness or in society, we've made that a sign of weakness. And the reality is the people I respect the most when I'm working with a team of professionals and they're high performers, it's the person who comes up to me and says, Look, I'm having success, but I don't know what I don't know. And I feel like I could be a whole lot better. And those are the people I'm like, this guy is going to set the world on fire because they're in the top 20% right now and they're reaching uh -huh. out for help. Totally. Like those are the people who are going to set the world on fire. So what are some of the things that people can do? What are the things that you discovered going through that journey that now applies to people in other business situations, they may not be going through substance abuse. They may not have a rope holding up their pants, but guess what? They're facing other issues that to them are huge issues that are, that are keeping them up at night and paralyzing them. So, you know, that, that notion of rigorous authenticity as a starting point, what, what are some of the, the guidelines that you would give people if they want to generate amazing results? If you want to get top results for your team, take a look at the Same Side Selling Academy. Just visit samesideselling.com to learn more. So when I was building my first company and we were in the equivalent of a garage and we were self-funded and we were just figuring it out, I had CEO as a title, um, but I felt like a little kid in a suit because I had no idea how to be a CEO, right? Uh, my background was sales, right? Working at Dell. And... The, the reality was I knew how to sell. I just didn't know how to lead. And so we started blowing up. And I remember just being like, man, I have no idea how to lead this company. I'm like totally lost. And so what I did was something that I see most people not do. And it completely amazes me because it is so freaking simple. What I did was I literally wrote out a job description for what I needed and a mentor. Like, what are all the things that I'm struggling with? What are all the things that I suck at? 
And what are all the things that I need them to be great at and be willing to do to help me? And then I took that like one page job description for a mentor. And whenever I suggest this to people, their fear is I can't share this. I can't post this on LinkedIn. What will people think? Right? I can't share this with my team. What will people think? I can't share this with my significant other. What will people think? You know what they'll think? You're leading yourself and you're going to get better. That's what they want, right? Like anybody that cares. But they're all like, oh, they're going to lose faith in me. Like I was scared to tell my team, hey, I need a mentor because I thought they were going to be like, holy crap, he doesn't know how to lead this company. We're screwed. I better go look for another job. And then like they've left and I'm just trying to get a mentor, right? But I socialized this job description across every contact that I had. And I got all these people recommending people back. And I talked to like five people and I realized that I completely written the job description wrong because they didn't have what I needed. But I figured out what I needed to do to reword it. And so I reworded, refined it, and then I shopped it again. And then the right mentors started showing up. But like literally, I suggest this to everybody that I meet. I, I did everybody in my company I suggested to. People are so scared to advertise that they're weak at something. Like I'm not just saying admit it. Like I went and advertised it. I got intentional about this stuff, sure. right? I'm like, I'm going to be very freaking clear about how much I suck at something. And all the conventional logic would tell me that my customers would not buy, my employees would not stay, and I would be screwed. But it, the opposite is what happened. Well, I love that because oftentimes with people in our same site selling academy, they'll say, for example, well, I'm dealing with this client and I don't know what they need to see uh, in order to be comfortable moving forward with us. Like, so how do I do that? I'm like, okay, here, write this down. So schedule a call with them, and then you're going to ask them, hey, I feel like I haven't done a good job in showing you what you need to see to be comfortable. This would be the right thing. So can we have a discussion? You can tell me what, you're, what you ultimately need to see, and if we can't do it, we'll both know. And they're like, that's it? It's like, And they'll have this yes. conversation, and the client will say, you know, here's the only thing we're concerned about, and if you guys could do this – man, would be all on board. It's something that the company does easily. And just everyone's been distracted trying to imagine what the other people need instead of actually asking them. And they'll tell you, it's like, it's like, oh, well, gee, we're more expensive than the other people. And someone says, oh yeah, that's true. There's probably some things you'd need to see to be comfortable spending more with us than with the other people, right? Yeah. Like what? And they'll tell you. And then all of a sudden you get this great information because you showed a little vulnerability and yes. you were trying to get to the truth. Yes, dude. Yes. Like, so that's what I teach people. That's why I teach people in my sales team too. We just, we used recovery terms just because that's my you know framework, but I'd be like, make your customer your sponsor. Because like you see people come into recovery and they'd be like, I don't know how to do this thing. Like get a sponsor. Well, I don't know what to do with a sponsor. We'll get one and ask them. Like literally say, I don't know what to do with a sponsor and they'll tell you. And they're like, no, I can't, I can't do that. I got to figure this all out on my own. And then I'll ask them like, then what would you need a sponsor for then? Like what yeah. this is circular logic. It doesn't make sense. So like same thing with customers. Like, Hey, I, I get the sense that you don't like our solution and you like our competitors. Have we messed up? Like, what could we do to like solve any of your object? Like just literally vulnerably sharing whatever your fear is. A number one, it's going to get you better quality information. But number two, because 99% of the people are too scared to do it, you're going to differentiate yourself, not as a company or a product, but as a person. And people do buy from people. And all of a sudden, you're going to experience what Brene Brown says all the time. Like your vulnerability, right? You're going to create connection with that person. They're going to feel connected to you because undoubtedly, there's something that they don't know what to do and they're not sharing it. And so like, it's such a great tactic and so few people use it. 
And it doesn't need to be attacked. It's literally just like the truth. Yep. Now, you mentioned we were talking when we were talking earlier, you mentioned this idea of actually using the model of rehab when it comes to sales and clients. And so talk a little yeah. bit about that, because I think that'll be fascinating for our audience. Well, so first of all, when I got to rehab, you know, they didn't just say, hey, do you think you have a drug problem? And I was like, yeah. And then we all just kind of agreed on this big fuzzy thing. They said, they handed me, they said, do you think you hurt people? I was like, yeah. They like handed me a legal pad, this like long yellow legal pad. And they said, okay, spend the next four hours listing every single person that you hurt and exactly how you hurt them. And so there is a level of destroying ambiguity around do I or do I not have a problem, right? Like that was the first part of rehab. We are going to destroy any ambiguity around whether you have a problem. We're going to make it really freaking clear. In sales, I feel like one of the number one things that holds salespeople back is they don't destroy ambiguity. Like they let a lot of things remain fuzzy. Okay, who's the decision maker? They don't like, oh, it's probably a no follow-up question. What's the budget? When when are you going to buy? Like, I mean, and you, you probably talk about this stuff all the time, but we allow a tremendous amount of ambiguity to exist in the sales process. And then we don't actually know what the problem is. We don't actually know what we need to solve for in the sales process, right? So then one of the next things they did in rehab is they said, there is a 12-step process to solve this problem. Just follow the 12-step process and you will solve this problem. Well, for my salespeople, I'd be like, hey, we have figured out a model for how you sell this. Just follow the model. And you know what salespeople love to do? They love to do the same thing that drug addicts love to do. Find something that works and stop doing it. (laughs) They want to invent a new way to do it. They want to change it. They want to not adhere or whatever. And so then the, the next thing was get a sponsor to work through the 12 steps with you. If you're a salesperson and you don't have a mentor in your organization, outside of your organization, then you aren't really committed to sales, in my opinion. Like there are people that know how to, and that's really true for any professional responsibility. There are people that know how to do whatever it is that you're doing better than you. That's not a problem. That's actually an opportunity. And that was what was true for me when I found other people uh, with clean time. So those would be three specific things. I could keep going for days and years, but we don't have that long. So I'll stop there. So starting with this notion of removing ambiguity, I want to circle back to that because very often you get people who say, who say, well, I think it's so-and-so. And there's a there's a popular article that I wrote a while back that said, why thinking is bad for sales and business. And it wasn't yeah, that it. thinking is bad. It's just more when you ask somebody, well, so what did the client say it's costing them to not solve this? They'll say, well, I think, and I'm like, okay. That means you didn't have the conversation, you didn't ask, which means you're relying on your hope that it's right, when all you have to do is ask the question, and you'll actually get to the truth. So let's skip all this BS and all this hyperbole, and instead just get to the truth very quickly. And in our Same Side Song Academy, we do this monthly coach's corner, and people, we role play live situations and go through all sorts of different scenarios. And every month, people talk about success stories they've had. Gee, our typical sales cycle is nine months. Now it's five months. And our typical sale is 200000 This was $2.4 million, And it was in half the time of normal. And when it comes down to it and you say, well, what did you do? They're like, well, I made sure I had no unknowns. I followed the process 100% of the time. And I didn't deviate whatsoever. And I made sure that I had other people involved in the deal to make sure that there wasn't something I was overlooking because I could easily have overlooked something if it didn't have the right people involved. Well, 
that's fundamentally the same thing you're talking about. No, dude, that maps perfectly. That literally maps perfectly. Like, you, no one knows. That's the legal pad that I got, right, um, in rehab. There is a process. Those are the 12 steps. And there's someone that's going to watch your back and know that's the sponsor. Like, yes. So, Ian, you didn't realize it, but you're training people how to be recovering addicts. You know what? It's they're, they're they're becoming they were recovering bad sales addicts in some case, I believe is, <laughs> is what it is. So it's it's a different type of substance, but it's it's in, in, in your meetings. Do they uh, do they sit there and say it's been a year since I sold poorly? And, <laughs> no, and unfortunately, they usually, say, they usually say it's been three weeks since I tried to sell a bad deal. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's unfortunate. And another guy gets on and goes, it's been three hours since I tried to sell a bad deal. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it's and and I think also it's a notion like when you think about an addiction. One of the thing one of the things I know is that friends of mine who have gone through this. Will, will say to me, look, and I just, I never put myself in a situation where it's going to be overwhelmingly tempting, where it's going to be very difficult to fight any urges that I have. Well, similarly, in sales, too often people put themselves in a situation where it's just a bad deal and they're they're focused on that deal and no, no, I'm going to pursue this. And you're like, dude, you're in a situation where you're probably not going to generate results. You're not dealing with a client yeah. who's advocating for you, but you're going to waste a lot of time going after it. Unqualified deals is kind of like, uh, I'm always looking at interesting recovery uh, comparisons, but it's kind of like me um, spending time with a sponsee that's not working a program. It's like, mm -hmm. there's only so much time I can spend helping someone else get clean from drugs and alcohol. And if they're not willing to use a process, when you're, when you're working an unqualified customer, it's a tremendous waste of resources and time. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because I work with a lot of different organizations and you'll see teams of people just absolutely crushing it. And there's one person who's lagging behind. You talk to him, you're like, well, what's going on? You know, I, I just, you know, I have my own system and I'm going to do it my own way and this and that. It's like, okay, yeah. but everyone else is outperforming you two to one. So, like, you realize this isn't sustainable. Well, I used to always do it this way. And you're like, okay. And then, you know, and it, it breaks your heart when they're not successful. But they kind of, you know, the company gave them all the tools. Just the person didn't avail themselves of them. And that's an unfortunate part. Totally. It kind of reminds me of um, at Addictive Leadership, we talk about when it comes to performance management, like there's, you know, the A player, the B player, the C player, and the D player. And we see it through the lens of like stages of awareness and defensiveness and, and what we call employee armor. So an A player, you say, hey, man, here's something that you need to do better that, that, that would improve the outcome. They go, oh, thank you. Great. I'm going to go. I'm going to go execute to that. The B player has a little bit of employee armor and a little bit of defensiveness. And they go, wait, what's the difference? Did I do something wrong? I'm giving you exactly what you need. Now, I, as the manager, can see that they can give me so much more. And I'm trying to help them achieve more and become an A player. But they're like, hey, is, is there something wrong here? Do we need to talk about us? Like, what's going on? Then the C player is like really in denial. And they're like, I don't understand what the difference is between me and the B player. Like, and the A player, like, we're all doing the same stuff. Just my, my customers kind of suck or whatever. And then the D player turns the whole freaking table back on you and goes, I'm not the problem. You're the problem. This company's the problem. The product's the problem. The sales uh, territory is the problem. The quota is the problem. Everything else is the problem. I'm not the problem. And, it, and it's like literally the stages of awareness of whether you have a problem with drugs. It's literally the That's same thing. Fascinating. But, you know, it's it's interesting because when you and I first spoke, I was like, you know what? I think it's going to be a really interesting angle for people to think about it because it's truly having that sense of 
that that strong objectivity about yourself and self-awareness and just being able to say, okay, here's what I know, here's what I don't know, that I think is the hardest thing for people in sales and business because, of course, you're supposed to know everything. It's interesting. All the business I've run, and I've run businesses to values of a couple billion dollars, I've always outsourced our CFO services, meaning there was either a dedicated in-house CFO or an outsourced CFO who ran all the finance. And so I remember someone said to me, they're like, oh, you don't understand that stuff? I'm like, no, I have a degree in quantitative economics and decision sciences. I understand all of it. It's just not my highest use. And I'm not someone who finds the details and finds the needle in the haystack. So I can do it and I'll do it poorly. I'd rather have somebody who's an expert in that and leverage their expertise. And it's like, oh, so you understand it? Oh, yeah, I understand it. I'm just not doing it. Right? It's like there's a difference. And I just think that too often you get people who are like, no, I have to manage the entire sales process myself. It's like, no, you don't. You can actually bring in other people who are better at that piece than you are, and you just shepherd them through the process. I was going to say it's like the difference between you know being an individual contributor and being a manager. It's like the value of what you do versus the value of what gets done. And it's hard for people to change that, you know, like, oh, you're not doing that yourself. And I like you and I both know, like, dude, that is the that is the hallmark of an effective leader. Yeah. Like finding everything that someone else could do better than you and giving it to them. All right. What were you going to ask me? Exactly. So what what's the best way for people to stay in contact with you to learn more about what it is that you're doing? Sure. My book is on Amazon or you can go to greatleaderbook.com. It's called Great Leaders Look Like Drug Addicts. And then if uh, you want to send me a note, tell me you think I suck or something that I said was helpful, you can go to addictiveleadership.com and there you can learn more about me and what we do. That's that's fantastic. Let me give kind of a quick 30-second recap of the key takeaways that I think people should draw on. And then I'll give you opportunity for rebuttal for the parts that I missed because I'm sure there's some things that I um, that I didn't get. But the, the three big things to, that I saw are, look, when you're trapped somewhere, first, remove all ambiguity. So all those little things of any generic message, it's like, no, no, be more specific, be more specific, and get it down to the individual granules of information that you need to have. The second thing is that you got to have a consistent process. If it's a 12-step process, like people who are suffering from addiction – Great. If it's an eight-step process, but you follow it religiously every time, that's the key to success. And then finding a sponsor. The sponsor may be your sales leader. The sponsor may be your client, but someone else who's going to hold you accountable, who you're going to work with through to achieve success. So what did I leave out? No, I think I think that's good. The only thing I'd, I'd add is, you know, there's destroying ambiguity and or identifying all the unknowns when it comes to, you know, someone else in the client. The biggest thing though, is being willing to do that for yourself to really understand the problems inside of you, whatever is holding you back from being the best version of yourself in work and in life. Most people co-conspire with denial to be completely unaware of what their opportunities are for growth. And so if you lean into that, and you look for the, you look for your own deficiencies as much as you look for the unknowns in a client, you will be able to lead yourself the same way you can lead a client. That's brilliant. And we'll leave it there. So Michael Brody, wait, thanks so much for sharing your story. I think it's a remarkable story. I think to, to go from where you were to leading successful businesses and helping other lead, other people lead and thrive should make it so that anybody who's playing, woe is me, I've had a rough day, week or month 
should be able to lift themselves up and say, wait, there's a formula, there's a path where I can be at least as successful as he's been. Totally. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you, dude.